every single guest who purchases the basic admission gets what they paid for and gets the value of what it is that they paid for and not make them feel necessarily like they missed out, mm -hmm. which is actually why it's so important to communicate the value of other offerings so the guests can make the decision to say, am I going to do VIP or am I going to do general admission? Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's fantastic, Josh. How are you? I am good. I am so happy to hear that you're fantastic today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, part of the reason that I'm fantastic is that you got to go to Cedar Point recently. You That's should be fantastic about that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I was feeling fantastic, Cedar fantastic, that is. <laughs> uh, it, it had been over seven years since I've been to the park. Um, obviously, I think it, many of our audience members know that it holds a special place in my heart where I started my, not only where I started my career, but also, you know, grew up visiting there a lot. And it was great to see, uh, it, was, it was great to see everything I had loved about the park, but also seeing a lot of things that had changed or been updated or things that were new. And, you know, I was walking around and I said, this, this is not the, the park. This is not Cedar Point that I grew up with. I think this is substantially better. I, I stayed at the Hotel Breakers, which is a, a historic hotel right there on the peninsula. It, it opened, I think, 1905. Um, obviously, the first time I stayed there was long after that. But the last time I stayed there was still several years ago. Uh, and it was great to see just the, you know, the improvements that, you know, that they had made to it, as well as several enhancements in the park as well. And I think that ties into a lot of what we might talk about in this episode today, not necessarily just reminiscing on my trip, my, my recent trip, um, and also doing something a little differently than uh, what we did for the lessons learned after your CNC, uh, which there was a lot of, lot of valuable takeaways from that. I'm thinking we could do something completely different that I don't think we've ever actually done before on the podcast. Well, let's get into it. Let's do another first. That's what we're all about, another first. So the idea of where I think we can take this conversation is purely uh, based on innovation and brainstorming and asking questions like what if and why not based off of things that we've observed in the industry, based off of things that we feel, based off of things that maybe have been tried before, maybe some have been successful, maybe some not as successful. And maybe by the end of this conversation, we'll have some pretty interesting takeaways from it. And for our audience, for those who are watching and listening, maybe it might spark something that you can do within your venue or your attraction. Uh, and some of them might not be feasible at all, but if it's something that you can do and say, hey, I can actually get 5% there. I can get you know 10% there to be able to do that. Then it still results in a very positive outcome. You know what excites me about this is, first of all, I don't know where, where this is going to go. We have no, no idea. idea how this is going to turn out. Uh, but when you first pitched this to me in the email, I thought, 
part of this could be those kind of aha moments or those things that we come up with. But I'm hoping also that part of the process is also valuable for people. So like you said, as we go through this, we may come up with things that are completely out of the realm of reality right now, but maybe in five or 10 years, they become commonplace. And just going through this process of thinking maybe a little differently than we have before, or just kind of letting our minds run wild, that might be an inspirational piece of the process that could also spur some different thought for people. Then they can come up with something that's completely different than anything we talked about today. Exactly. And I think, you know, if you've listened or, or watched the interview that we did with Vince Cadleback from Meow Wolf, we talked about the crisis of imagination. And you brought up a, a point a few minutes ago before we started recording that Vince talked about how we look to the past uh, versus thinking about or imagining what can be done in the future. So maybe this is us kind of taking a, you know, taking a stab at where our imaginations and our innovations can go. So with that, I think that that's a, a pretty good setup there. Hopefully everyone's on the edge of their seats for where we're about to get started. And like you said, we don't really know where we're going to go with this. And I think that that's what makes it excited uh, or exciting, excuse me. Uh, so should we kick it off? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. So I am going to throw out kind of a couple of concepts into the, into the air here from my observations from my recent trip that uh, kind of got my gears turning. So uh, I, I went to Cedar Point with, uh, with my friend, Andrew. Um, he, last time he was there was, I think, you know, three years ago, you know, which is you know, more recent than I had, but you know, both of us, you know, we, we hadn't been to the park in a while. Uh, we partook in Fastlane, which is Cedar Point's front of the line experience, which was fantastic. We were also able to partake in the park's uh, VIP lounge access. So Fastlane is pretty self-explanatory. It's an upcharge experience that gets you through a separate queue that has fewer people in it and you wait less time in it. Uh, the VIP lounge access was something that they are doing uh, specifically for, for this year, the park's 150th anniversary, that uh, you can pay a fee and you can get into what really, I would say, looks really good for a pop-up lounge. You know, these are, these are like white tents with really high quality, um, I would say like resort style furniture, like what you might actually see at a Ritz-Carlton, like out by their pool, as far as the way the, the wicker, you know, chairs and the couches and the, and the cushions and things like that. There's fans in there. There's a private bar where if you've got the VIP access, you get a few bottles of water per day. You get a few snacks per day. And, you know, there's no line if, you know, if you want a beer uh, or shorter lines than other places in the park. Uh, what was really cool about it is I, I went in there and uh, to the, there was one literally right underneath Millennium Force's fourth overbank turn. So like right next to the train station, if you're familiar with the layout of the park. So that was my favorite spot to hang out for a little while. There was a, a woman there, new mom with a baby in a stroller. The baby couldn't have been more than maybe five or six months old. And they were both resting and relaxing and they looked so comfortable, which is not normally how people act and feel when they're visiting an amusement park, which is hustle and bustle, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. So bridging those together, we did Fastlane and we did the VIP. My thought process took me to think that it would be cool if those were actually the same product. So if you were to purchase a 
Fastlane VIP. And by the way, yeah, I'm talking about it from the context of visiting Cedar Point recently, but this is also something that is very industry applicable. If you purchase the VIP access to attractions, you automatically get the VIP access to the lounges because you're not waiting in as many lines, which means that you're not going to be standing for as long of a time. So if there were designated locations within the park or throughout the venue that you could go to and relax, there weren't too many people in the lounges. Now, granted, we were there for short periods of time, kind of sporadically throughout the day, but you get more people into those lounges. It's comfortable. They can go to the bar. Maybe they can order food have it delivered to them. Maybe there are servers walking around that can even, you know, get them drinks from the bar, get them food. Now I think you have more of that concierge access experience. If you think of like you're, you're on the concierge level at a hotel combined with the fact when, Hey, I want to go on a ride. All right. I'm just going to go there. So having them sporadically throughout the park combined with the fast lane access, I think would make for an enhanced guest experience that you can charge a good amount for and sell a good amount of versus keeping those separate. There's my thought. There's your thought. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, uh, on, on a similar note, um, the first time I actually experienced having a spot in the park to kind of park ourselves was at Wild Adventures because they had set aside one of their little uh, lakeside lodges, which is like a cabana. Um, for us uh, during the day. And it was really great to have a spot that we could go back to. And this one was assigned to us. So, you know, we could have stuff in the refrigerator, we could leave stuff locked up, they had a special lock and everything. So I think just kind of taking that even to the next level is saying, okay, you've got the, the fast lane, you've got the VIP access around the park, but maybe even also a spot where you could have a specific spot. Now, Wild Adventures is much smaller than, than Cedar Point. So to have that one spot at Cedar Point might not be as advantageous because it may be way across the park and it may take a long time to get to. But I do think that more and more people are looking for that type of experience where it's not all just run, run, run to the next ride, run, run, run to the next ride. Although that was us, you know, years ago, um, but having a spot where they can have more of a concierge type experience. And I wonder if we're thinking imaginatively, if there's a person that might even be assigned to them for the day, mm -hmm. for example, and maybe this is something you and I talked about, um, but that person may be assigned to them if they want, you know, if they're at, you know, a specific location and they wanted a certain food item that was halfway across the park. And this person was kind of their runner, kind of their personal concierge that they could go get that. Then they could also be the, the group's photographer for the day. Right, and they could take pictures and, and videos and all that kind of thing. So the, the people in the group wouldn't have to necessarily worry about that. And if it was a special occasion, like someone's birthday or a, a wedding party or an anniversary, then they've got these professional uh, pictures that could go along with their experience. So that might be one way to even take that to the next level with having a person that's assigned to them, a, a team member that can pretty much serve them in any way they need. So are you talking about a concierge or are you talking about a butler? Because I think <laughs> now we're getting into maybe five, six, or even seven star experience to say, I don't just have someone who I can passively reach out to and maybe they'll answer, but they're serving such a wide variety of people. We're talking, you could sell a such a premium product that you have a dedicated person that's assigned to you for that day. 
maybe they might have other groups or families too, but they can really act on a dime to do a variety of different things. They can, they can get you through the VIP access at the attractions. And then the things that you said, as far as get you food that might be on the opposite side of the park, uh, or take those those pictures, those professional photos celebrating the occasion. Now you've got this better documentation of the experience and you have someone who is 100% committed to you having a successful day. I think that's really cool. When you talk about the food and beverage aspect of it, I think that there's a lot there that could be expanded upon, uh, I, I would say like industry-wide. We are so used to being at home and ordering on DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub. And if let's say my wife and I, we want something different for dinner, we can order from two different places and still have dinner together at home. A theme park is the perfect environment to be able to do that. Where if let's say, you know, one person wants pizza, the other person wants burgers, the other person wants chicken, the other person wants barbecue, they can order from all those places and maybe even have it delivered. So maybe this is an extension beyond this other Butler concierge service, but just to say, we now have a delivery service where the, the geographic location of the food in the park is not relevant because what's relevant is where you are when you want it. And maybe it's in one of these comfortable VIP lounges. Well, and I think parks have recognized that that's absolutely going to happen because you get the food courts, right? Where you can walk in and you can choose from five or six different types of food. And then you all go through the same cashier and you eat some, you know, in their, in their dining room or their dining experience, wherever that happens to be. But I think what you're talking about is taking that concept, but blowing it up so that we're actually delivering it to different places. Mm -hmm. um, when I was at um, Six Flags Over Georgia recently, um, we were in line for food and we happened to see a um, an, an A-frame that talked about mobile ordering. So we quickly got the, the app and everything, and we were actually able to bypass a pretty long food line to get our food and then, you know, go sit down and enjoy it. Hmm. Well, could that concept be taken to the next level? Kind of to your point, you've got mobile ordering, but, you know, with geotagging and I'm not sure what all, how all it works exactly, but... That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> but let's say that you are in line for Millennium Force and you know that you're going to be heading towards something else. Mm -hmm. This is way butler concierge kind of stuff, right? And you want something, you want a burger from a specific place. So you're just about to get on Millennium Force. You order it and you say, I'm going to be at this location. And somebody shows up at that location with your food. Mm. It may be one of those VIP places, but it also may be a park bench just as they're ready to go on the next ride. Right. So, so potential issues that could come from that, but potential solutions to it too. And I'll, I'll share an example. Let's say I'm about to get on Millennium Force. I put my food order in and the ride goes down for a half hour and I stand in line. Sure. Now my food's getting cold, or maybe I decide I'm going to play some games before getting to that food. The solution to that is something that I recently saw at Wrigley Field. Um, so I've been to two Cubs games so far this season. And one of them was actually like when it was 15% capacity, one was when it was hundred percent capacity, but what they've implemented this season and actually learned recently that uh, this has been in conversation for a while, but the pandemic accelerated this, like all mobile food and beverage ordering mm -hmm. 
what they've done is they have QR codes on the backs of every single seat in the stadium, as well as all the food stands and things like that. Or you can pull it up, you can order from the app. And the time that you order, you can order your food whenever you want. You can order your food and pay for it whenever you want. When you are hungry or when you want the food or the beer or the nachos, whatever it is, you get up, you then go to that concession stand, scan the QR code with your phone. And then at that point, since this is all quick service anyway, it's very easy to assemble. That's when they actually start preparing your order so it's fresh and hot and gets to you when you want it. So similar to what you said, you've already ordered in advance, so you're not waiting in line, but you've ordered it whenever you wanted to, but it doesn't actually start getting assembled until you decide that you want it and you're standing there and, and you're ready for it. Tie it back with uh, this butler concierge. Now you can maybe text your butler and say, here I am. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here at the bench or the table or back in my VIP area uh, and I'm ready. And then at that point, food gets prepared and delivered to where you are in the park. Yeah. So sort of an aside question to that. When you were at Cedar Point and you were experiencing Fastlane and, and the VIP areas and you're a guest experience kind of expert, how much did that increase your level of what you thought the guest experience was? Just having those couple of conveniences, obviously that you paid for, but how much did that bump up the experience when you, when you were leaving the park and you said, oh, that was a great day? How much did that affect it? Well, if you make the comparison to what the alternative would be of not having either of those of it's, you know, it's summertime, we were there during the week, but still it was, you know, it was July. So there were an hour and a half hour, 45 waits for, for many attractions. Steel Vengeance was over two hours, uh, not having to wait in as long of a queue for that enhanced my experience. Cause it allowed me to get two rides in instead of one millennium force. It was three rides and who am I kidding? It still would have been three. I just would have been waiting in line for it each time and would have taken substantially longer and would have maybe taken some things away of being able to explore uh, Adventure Island, which I had never, I never stood on it before. I'd been on that island many times, but only while riding Millennium Force uh, or being able to uh, go experience the new um, Snake River Expedition, the, you know, what, what has taken over paddle wheel excursions. So I was able to do more. I was able to leave the park in the, in the middle of the day on Thursday, be able to go back to the hotel, rest for a little bit, um, and then go back in and, you know, and, and enjoy the rest of the park for the evening again. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do that as well without those. Another thing too, that was really cool is that because it's the park's 150th Technically 151st, but <laughs> we, we won't go there. Pandemic, you know, <laughs> impacted a few things. One of the VIP areas included grandstands to watch the celebratory anniversary parade. That was actually really cool. I may or may not have seen the parade if I didn't know that I had this VIP viewing access area for it. Uh, so did it positively impact guest experience? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and part of the reason I asked that is because there's all kinds of discussions about um, 
you know, how expensive parks are getting. And if we take this in a practical direction, just for a minute, the experience we're talking about with a personal butler, that would probably be a lot of money. But when you think about the more things that you get to do and the more things your, your family gets to do, you know, it could probably be justified, maybe not every year, but, you know, for, you know, maybe once in a lifetime or a couple of times to really be able to get the entire experience. And I mean, let's be honest, the less tired you are when you go through a park, the better your experience is. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned be able, being able to go back to the hotel and rest for a little bit. So that probably recharged your batteries for when you went back. So let's take that just for a second. What mm -hmm. are other ways that people can recharge their batteries, right? So the, the VIP areas, places to sit down, I know that when I, when we went on CNC, except for at Wild Adventures where we had that cabana, we would just, you know, plop ourselves down in a food stand that was air conditioned and sit there for a while, right? Mm -hmm. But it would have been nice to have someplace else that we weren't taking up a table and, you know, those type of things. So um, let's talk about that. Well, I think that you made a really good point too of the cabanas at Wild Adventures. And that's, that's a VIP lounge taken to the most personal level. You said you had a little fridge in there. You can mm -hmm. store things in there. So where my mind goes with this is saying, okay, you've got your general access VIP lounge, uh, but now maybe within that or instead of that, there are personal lounges as well in the form of, of cabanas or something similar to that, where you really have your home base, where you can, you can be comfortable at. Ideally, you'd want to have it be somewhat centrally located so that if you, you know, are on the opposite side of the park and saying, okay, let's rest our feet for a little bit, then all right, maybe the best alternative is a, a picnic table or, you know, in a food court or something like that. But being able to kind of have that as your zone uh, makes it really helpful. And then with your butler, they then pick you up at the end of the day in a golf cart and take you to your car. Now we're talking. Mm -hmm. What if they met you in the morning too? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You, or they, or they brought you park. Yeah. Yeah. Or they brought you in from the hotel, you know, depending on the, on the layout of the facility, right? right? Your butler meets you wherever you are in the morning and comes out and greets you and says, I'm your, can we use a different term than butler? But anyway. Oh, I like butler. <laughs> we can go back to concierge. There you go. Personal um, guide, personal assistant. Yeah, I like that. Um, but I mean, they're literally with you from the time that you are, you know, starting out your day all throughout the day. Here's what I think that helps to do is, again, you know, money being an issue um, for, for a lot of folks. But when you have that kind of time to kind of sit and relax, I think people are more likely to want to stay for another day because mm -hmm. they are, it's not such a rushed experience. And like, I don't want to have to do that again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I will go through and leisurely want to experience things. Like if you think about a Disney or a universal where there's multiple parks, there's so many things to do. Even Cedar point is hard to do in one day. So when you think about, you know, doing it at a more leisurely pace, then again, your batteries are more recharged. You're, you're able to experience things a little bit better, you know, for a family, you know, you don't have the parents dragging their kids around and saying, Hey, we got to go on this. we got to go on this. we got to, we got to get our money's worth today. Right. Because it's our only day here. And then that becomes so hectic that they're not really enjoying it. They're just trying to check the box and get as many things done as they could. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if we, if we talk about this, personal assistant or personal guide, concierge, butler, name to be defined at a time, maybe at another time. 
what is the difference between them and a VIP tour guide? So I, I have some thoughts swirling there as far as like, what is that person's actual role? A VIP tour guide, and you know, I, I used to do VIP tours at Universal. You meet your guests in the morning, you get them to the front of every line of rides, shows, attractions, and you send them off at the you know, end of every day and you kind of curate a schedule on it. This I actually see as being a little bit of a different role. Do you agree? I do. And it's funny because I thought about that exact same comparison when we first started talking about this, because I've been on a VIP tour and I've certainly seen people on VIP tours and, you know, you see the VIP tour with them. Like for example, when they go to um, a food location and maybe the VIP tour guide gets them in line and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's almost like the, the, the realm of the VIP tour guide is like you said, to provide information, right? To get them around the park, to tour them around, to give them uh, the front of line access. Um, but when it comes to other things like eating or maybe merchandise or, you know, other experiences, you know, maybe that tour guide is taking a little bit of a, of a backseat. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe part of the, the concierge um, uh, process is at the beginning of the day, or, or how about this? The concierge is assigned before you even get there and they call you uh, before the, before your visit and they help curate your visit. So mm-hmm. they get to travel agent. A little bit, but personal to that particular park. So they call you up. They say, Mr. Liebman, I understand that you, Franny, and Jacob are coming to see us at Cedar Point tomorrow. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what you'd like to do? And you say, yeah, Jacob is very young. We need a spot where we can, you know, X, Y, and Z and feed him and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm Josh Liebman, so I'm going to ride Millennium Force 100 times. So, okay. So that person can now better evaluate. Thank you for that, by the way. (laughs) But now, but that person can now help evaluate and curate a day that is all planned out. I mean, you talk about not having to think about anything when you're in the park and they can help guide you through that experience in a way that you don't have to worry about anything. There's other things that they can do too, because the difference between this individual and and a VIP tour guide, the VIP tour guide is, is taking you through the experience this person is ensuring that the experience is facilitated for you. So if maybe on that discovery call, they learn that you're celebrating a birthday or wedding anniversary or whatever it is, now they can get wheels in motion to start planning maybe even multiple delightful surprises throughout their day. This is, I mean, this is incredibly low tech, by the way, like, like all the conversations now are like technology information about our guests. What can we do? I mean, we have this all, and and that's all really important. I think that this could really blend in with that as well, but this allows for the most personalized of experiences that you can have. And maybe it is dinner reservations with VIP fireworks viewing, you know, that, that they wouldn't be able to it wouldn't be able to access otherwise. Uh, right. and, and what are they doing when they are not with the guest if they are working on behalf of that guest and individual or mm-hmm. family? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, character meet and greets, you know, um, if somebody, you know, you've got a, a young person that says, oh, how does that, that, that roller coaster work, right? Mm-hmm. And they can get on the phone and talk to one of the engineers and they come out right? And talk to the family for a few minutes and get the, the, the child interested in, in engineering or, you know, um, you know, a technical field or something because they got to talk to this person. I mean, I mean, that kind of stuff really runs the gamut in terms of what that person, what kind of outreach that person can do on behalf of the guest. Mm. 
Oh man, man, I think we just need to open a theme park. I, <laughs> let's, let's end this podcast. Let's, right, just, let's go. <laughs> forget it. Any, any investors out there that yeah. uh, support our, our cause. And, and so let's go back to the, the financial aspect of this. You know, we, we said that this is obviously the most premium offering that of course is going to command the most premium price and the vast majority of guests are not going to do this. And you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not meant for the vast majority of guests. I, a lot of research out there um, of value perception and price sensitivity. So if we, if we take an idea this ridiculous and, and let's say we, we put it out there, uh, the perception of value for premium offerings is oftentimes higher than more basic offerings, which are at a much lower cost. Right. And on the flip side of that, price sensitivity, people are more, more likely to complain about how much money they spent when they actually bought your basic admission. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot you can do with that as far as training your admissions team members and your, you know, and your agents as far as you know, you're, you're not upselling, you're actually improving the value of their purchase by, you know, by having them get a more, a more premium offering. Another thing that we've talked about on this podcast is that people are willing to pay a premium price provided that you deliver that premium value. Mm -hmm. So all the things we're talking about right here are not completely out of the realm, even if they are priced astronomically, provided that the guest has that experience where if the kid says, hey, how do roller coasters work? Hey, let's let's call up engineering and, and maintenance. And, you know, maybe we can even... Uh, you know, maybe there's a, there's an area outside of a ride envelope. So it's, it's not in a restricted area, but maybe we can actually take you back of house and, you know, we can show you the lift motor and the, you know, whatever it is. And then, oh, by the way, let's go ride it. Let's ride it together. And I'll point things out on it uh, is a much more enhanced experience than obviously buying the basic admission, waiting in line and getting what you paid for, which is riding the ride. And this isn't just theme parks that you could do this at zoos and aquariums. I mean, how often are kids asking about the animals and the fish and then being able to have uh, an even better experience with, you know, with the zookeepers or the, you know, the curators and, you know, of all of, all of that and saying, hey, actually, I can, I can take you behind the scenes. So people are willing to pay a premium price provided that you deliver premium value and value perception is often more, more likely to be linked with premium offerings and price sensitivity is often linked with more basic offerings, which is this you know, unique paradox. And all of this is an enhanced way of experiencing the exact same product. It's, it's flying first class. It's the box seats at a sporting event. It is another way that you can do it uh, if, and it's not, it's not just to say, you know, I read TripAdvisor reviews and, and people will say something like, oh, you should do the, the backstage tour if you can afford it or if you have enough money. And I think that that's just such weird phrasing because it's like anyone can afford it if they determine that that aligns with what it is that, that they see value in and what they are willing to spend the money on. I, I hope that makes sense. Like, I mean, it's obviously not everyone can afford it per se, but people are, people are going to spend more money on their hobbies and interests compared to someone else who might not have the same interest or, or hobby as they are. We probably spend way more money in theme parks than, you know, than we do on things that we're not as interested in. And it's not a matter of like affording it or having, you know, enough money or whatever. It's what we see as that priority in, you know, in our lives with our interests. So. 
Well, I wonder too, for the vast majority of people who are buying the basic ticket, right? And maybe not getting the fast lane and not doing the VIP. Um, how much of that is education that there are those other things out there um, ahead of time? And, you know, yes, everybody's going to have it on their website and, and those type of things, but do they truly know what the value is? And, and at the end of the day, how much their experience is going to be enhanced by, by, by participating in one of those things? Or is it when they get to the ride and depending how the, uh, the attraction handles, you know, the, the front of the line access, you know, sometimes people are, are merging into the queue and you never know it. Sometimes there's a special train just for that particular, um, you know, front of line access or whatever it is. And then is that when they kind of learn about it? Oh, this person looks like they're cutting in line and, oh, they must have paid the premium price. And now I feel like either I should have, I feel like I'm missing out on something. And now I'm, I'm, my, my, my experience is less quote unquote, because of this other person. Right. Yeah. Not that I couldn't have done it myself, but it's less because there's, there's other people that have, have taken advantage of it. They knew more, you know, at the beginning or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So first of all, uh, you're right. The education component of it or the communication aspect of it, you know, is, is critical. And that's, you know, when I, when I said, you know, you stop upselling, you know, a few minutes ago, that's exactly what it's about. It's not about trying to get the guest to buy something else or to spend more money or whatever it is. It's communicating the value of other ways that you can experience, you know, the, the exact same thing. And like I said, you know, a few minutes ago, it's an enhanced way of doing it like that first class seat on the airplane. Uh, the other thing too, that we need to keep in mind throughout all of this is that every single guest who purchases the basic admission gets what they paid for and gets the value of what it is that they paid for and not make them feel necessarily like they missed out, mm -hmm. which is actually why it's so important to communicate the value of other offerings so the guests can make the decision to say, am I going to do VIP or am I going to do general admission? And if I do general admission, then I know that the, per the people who purchased VIP are going to have a different type of experience than I am. And maybe I'll consider that for the future. Maybe I'll consider it halfway through the day if I still see the value in it. But if I know all of that upfront, I can make a better informed decision and then don't have that same level of resentment for people, you know, cutting the line or for, you know, or for people who have paid more uh, or people who say, oh, it's, oh, it's purely equity based. It's, you know, the, the experience you have is based on the amount of money that you're going to spend. Well, well, yeah, it's a theme park. I mean, like it's, <laughs> this is a leisure activity, like that's okay. Um, but the communication component of it, uh, like you said, is, is absolutely critical. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So were there other um, observations that you had or other thoughts of, of how we could, you know, blue sky the uh, the theme park experience. No, that was about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I think you know my my gears are are often uh, turning, kind of obviously in the realm of guest experience, uh, in a way that uh, provides an enhanced experience that leads to positive business benefits. So when we talk about different options that are that are premium options that guests can experience your facility, your attraction, or whatever it is, uh, you know how how does that tie into 
where it's actually going to lead to. So we mentioned earlier, going back to our, you know, concierge butler friend, uh, setting up that private character meet and greet for the kid on their birthday and then surprising the family with that, maybe as they walk out of their VIP lounge cabana or whatever it is, uh, what's going to happen after that visit? When they get back home, you know, and, you know, when the kids go back to school or summer camp or hanging out with their friends or whatever it is, what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about this experience that they had that was filled with all of these wow moments and these moments of surprise and delight. It's going to get other people really excited about it. And at minimum, it might sell more general admission tickets just to at least increase your attendance. So this guest experience tie-in with marketing is absolutely critical. I mean, this is something that uh, I mean, that, that I talk about for a lot that I think a lot of people are, are talking about for, a, you know, for, you know, for a while and really striving to uh, grow the business through, you know, the, the experience that they're providing. So I'm curious as we talk about, you know, sort of that, um, that basic general admission, right? People mm-hmm. come up and they, they either buy online or they buy when they get there or whatever the case may be. Did you see anything that could be done or could be enhanced from their perspective, not paying any more money, but you know what the park could do that would enhance the general admission experience. Yeah, so I think, um, and this is, yeah, I guess this is kind of a, another observation in that realm is to say, if you have that front of the line pass, which I think most parks really do now, what are the ratios in which you are allowing guests in? And, uh, you know, one of the things that I know is particularly, you know, with Steel Vengeance, the, uh, or actually, so with Steel Vengeance or with Val Raven, the fast lane queue, they actually had to build overflow queue into the midway. So clearly there isn't too much price sensitivity that is stopping people from buying fast lane. But then the question becomes, you know, we've got, you know, they've got 24 seats in a train and, and I don't know, five or six, tra- I think six trains or so maybe on, on Val Raven. I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, I'm sure someone listening right now knows, knows the answer saying, come on, Josh. Uh, <laughs> but, but how are you treating the guests who bought general admission compared to the guests who have spent more? And are you looking at it from the standpoint that the guests who spent more are going to have a better experience because they spent more, or are you inadvertently delivering a poorer experience to the guests who bought the generation? And, and I'm not saying that that was happening during my visit, but I think that it's it's a really strong consideration. And there's arguments on both sides of it to say, hey, if if we're going to charge this much for fast lane and there's this much demand for it right now, then, you know, 75%, you know, needs to be fast lane guests, 25% needs to be, you know, whatever that, uh, you know, whatever that ratio is. And then now the people who bought general admission might not feel, again, this all goes back to perception. They might not feel or perceive that they're getting the value that they paid for that general admission, which is still not a cheap ticket, mm-hmm. which is what might lead to more price sensitivity. Yeah. So it's a balancing act to say, if you're gonna offer this premium option to make sure that it's not gonna be at the, at the expense of the experience of guests who did not. You can make the experience better for those who pay more, but you can't make the experience worse for those who paid 
the baseline amount. Right. Which is often the argument with the cut the line passes, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people will say it makes the standby line longer because now we're waiting, we're merging all these other folks in. Um, To me, it has, we'll talk coasters specifically, it has everything to do with the merge point, right? Mm -hmm. If we merge in and before we even get to the platform, now we're one mass of people and we can all choose where we want to go on the train and it's, it's all equitable at that point. I found that there's much less of a, of a, oh, you cut in line or you, you're getting a better experience than if you are, you know, brought up through the exit and, you know, oh, you know, don't load anybody in the, in the first row because we've got these VIPs coming in, you know, that's a much more awkward position, both for the guests and the VIPs Mm -hmm. versus getting everybody into a merge point and then getting everybody onto the platform at the same time. Sure. Yeah. And, and you're right. And you need to be, you need to be mindful of that. Are you selling something to someone that is going to make them feel uncomfortable while using it? Cause you make a good point mm-hmm. that if, if you're loading, you know, guests in the unload station and then having them cruise into the load station and now there's people standing there who are supposed to get on, they'll be like, you literally took my seat on the, on the ride. Yeah. Uh, then, then yeah, like you said, everyone uh, is put into an uncomfortable you know, position or, or situation at that point. Or not everyone is, but there is a greater potential for that to happen, which can cause guest conflict, which can cause guest complaints, and which can cause negative word of mouth feedback, you know, you know extending beyond the visit. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, as far as some of them might have, you know, a, a dedicated train specifically for those express or, you know, or, or fast lane guests or a separate queue altogether. I think Universal for the most part actually does that pretty well. You really don't see the other guests for, you know, for the most part um, who are either in the standby or, or in the VIP or in the VIP. So part of it, needs to be invisible, but part of it also needs to be known to the guest as far as this could be you, right? So there, you know, you could also be in this other line versus, uh, versus the standby line. Yeah. There's, there's probably some marketing that happens, right? When, when you yeah. see somebody else doing that and say, Oh, I mean, next time I could do that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to drop another thing right here too. I know we're getting towards the end of this and maybe, maybe this is like, a, a preview of maybe a part two episode that we could do. Okay. But what if we get to a point where a standby queue is the premium experience? Bum, bum, bum. I can elaborate. Is, is that like a, um, um, oh, the name just went out of my head. It's an Orlando Discovery Cove. Is it that uh, kind of model that you're thinking of? Well, I'm actually thinking of it from from like a a larger theme park. I think that there are certain parks that could continue to elevate the experience and increase the price so that they could have more of a Discovery Cove type of feel. I think that if you start out with general admission and then you try to get it to that ultra premium reservations only, you're going to pay a lot more, but there's going to be much fewer people. I think that, I don't know if you can really switch to that model, but so what I'm thinking is I... We, we have a few different ways of, of queuing these days. So, you know, we have standby queue, we have ride reservations, and we have, uh, you know, skip the line, right? Or uh, um, ride reservations and virtual queuing, things like that. What if when you go into a park, you have a few different options? One of them is ride reservations. So at three o'clock, I'm riding Maverick. 
The other is virtual queue. So I'm going to get into the virtual queue right now. The wait time's an hour. I'm going to go up to the ride in an hour. And then if I just want to ride right now, maybe that's what I pay for. So you're paying at different tiers based on how you want to use the queue? Or the virtual queue or the reservations are free. And that the, the standard way of waiting in line is no longer waiting in line. And so now, oh, if, the, if you want to ride right now, okay, I can ride right now, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay to ride right now. And now there's going to be very few people in that because most people are using either the virtual queue or the ride reservation, which allows you to remove the vast majority of your switchback queues and build VIP lounges. Which you're boom, mic drop. I think you're I'm all like, about those. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're all about those VIP lounges now. I think I really am. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I, we. I mean, we could explore that a little bit now, or do you want to want to hold that off and talk? That depends that? how how much how much are your gears turning from that? <laughs> well, I think my gears are turning because it gives people choice and it really turns what we know on its head, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. My question would be if when you say ride right now and you're paying for that experience and you go into the standby line, how immediate is that ride right now? I think the merge point should be as close to the station as possible. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like if you, or you go up the exit or it's a special or the, I mean, yeah, or it's just the special ride right now access. But is that the only place that someone would literally stand in the queue and even do a couple of switchbacks to get up to the platform. Is that what you're envisioning? Or is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, as, as minimal as possible. Okay. So yeah. it'd be a pretty short wait in that yeah. ride right now um, type of thing. It's, it's the PSW pass. It's the what? The PSW pass. What's PSW? It's a pretty short wait. You pretty just... short wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I, got I mean, VIP might resonate more with people. It might, yeah, VIP. But see, you know, we're, just, we're just innovating and imagining here. So. No, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And, and of course, my mind goes to, okay, how does it work? When I know I shouldn't be thinking that. I should. I don't need to think of that right now. But, um, but I, I do, I do think that there's, there's an interesting conversation to be had about completely changing the way people wait, which. Mm -hmm. The conversation's already happening, right? Like right. you said, with virtual queues, with ride reservations, with fast passes and f flash passes and you know expresses and whatever you want to call them. There's all kinds of ways for, for people to wait. Um, but I think that's also currently how theme parks are built, right? They're right. built to get a lot of people off the midway and into a queue so that they'll wait because otherwise they can't build a, a ride that has the right kind of capacity that will take thousands of people, you know, per hour. Immediately. Yeah, immediately. We, we just can't, we just don't have that capacity. But maybe let's let's go blue sky again. What if we had larger capacity attractions? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that definitely will help alleviate queuing times, increases maintenance costs, certainly. Uh, but I think that that also, I mean, if you look at any newer attractions. I mean, I wish we had, you know, some of the, like Adam Sandy, you know, on right now, or, you know, Jim Shea or something, you know, talking about what, what the uh, kind of where capacity has gone over the last several years. If you think, 
I mean, yeah, if you go back like 50 years ago, capacity probably wasn't a concern because the lines were probably not nearly as long. Mm -hmm. I think that we've gotten to a point as an industry, and I don't think I'm going to make any shocking statement right here, but waiting in line sucks. And it's one of the (gasps) worst components of... It's one of the worst components of visiting a park. I, and so if you can take all of that and at least start with, you know, of course you can monetize not waiting in line, but does that deteriorate the experience for those who, who are not going to pay that extra amount because they don't necessarily see the value in that, but also don't just want to accept that there's going to be an hour, hour and a half long wait for this attraction you know, on, on a busy day. So the, I mean, the only other solution is substantially reducing your capacity and then, yeah, going to that discovery cove model, but now you're probably charging two or three times more for, you know, for admission. So it still is, is not the greatest. Um, but I think that there are many possible ways to solve it. I think we could also get back to what a lot of folks have done. And it seems like they're going away from it is entertainment in the queue. So, you know, for example, I've been to a, a bunch of places where there's still TVs in the queue, but nothing's on them, right? <laughs> or, or I think at Cedar Point, they used to have DJ booths yeah. in like Raptor and, and yeah. some other ones, um, not there anymore or no longer being used. Are there other ways to enhance the queue experience? So yes, you're still doing switchbacks for an hour and a half, but that is a fun hour and a half. Something's going on during that time where you're being entertained and it's not just so um, mundane. And like you said, waiting in line sucks. But even if you are being entertained, are you still thinking about the fact that you're waiting an hour and a half in a switchback queue? I probably wouldn't as much. I'm speaking for myself, right? But now you're not going to ride as many rides that day. No, I'm not. But I'm not thinking about how long I'm waiting. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening has done the, you know, small step, you know, kind of going through the queue. Um, you know, I remember when Velocicoaster first opened and a lot of people were talking about the queue and how cool it was and some of the, the elements. And, um, you know, I went back to, to the mummy at Universal, which I hadn't been to in many, many years. And I was reminded how cool it was to go through that queue because there's so many interactive elements where you can, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but you know, you can blow, blow air up through the, the floor and people in front of you and watch them. Or there's a little thing where you put your hand in and it looks like you're going to grab something, but you know, air pops up at you or, you know, all kinds of different things that make that interactive experience much more or make that experience much more interactive and not just waiting back and forth. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, you make a lot of really good points, <laughs> but would you rather be doing that or sitting in your VIP lounge being served by your butler? Okay. So <laughs> probably sitting in my VIP lounge, but as, as the discussion kind of veered to, okay, the people that have, have paid the regular price, we're not going to, decrease their experience i think knowing that they're not paying for the vip they are not you know cutting the line quote unquote they are getting in line they're experiencing mummy once they're experiencing men in black once they're experiencing millennium force once because they've got so many other things to do make that hour and a half or however long it is in that queue that much more exciting that increases their value 
um, perception of what they just did. I feel like we need to go back and listen to uh, Dennis Mosley Williams a little <laughs> over a year ago of making the weight worthwhile. And uh, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was about, yeah, it was, it was about making it time, time well spent. Something like that. We may have to go back. Yeah, we'll go back. We'll go back and listen to it. Well, I think, uh, I think this wasn't too bad for a banter episode. I don't think it was, but we were, I don't think we're quite done yet either. I don't think so either. Because you haven't told us about Steel Vengeance. I oh. need to hear your impression of Steel Vengeance. Amazing. <laughs> uh, smooth, intense. Um, you, you know, this was something that I personally had wanted now for 10 years since New Texas Giant became a thing. I remember being like, all right, Mean Streak needs that. And uh, uh, I preferred the front. Andrew was like, this is a, this is a back row ride. Uh, personally, I prefer the front. Uh, rode it during the day and at night. I think I enjoyed my day ride better, but maybe that's because that was the front row one. Um, I mean, both rides were just, you know, unreal and fantastic. And, and like, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I took a picture of it and like, you know, posted it on Instagram and Facebook and people are like, what is this? You know, people not in the industry. Right. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Awesome. What's that? You've been on it. Multiple times yeah. and love it. And I think the only reason I preferred the night ride a little bit more is because when you're in and out of the structure, mm -hmm. you really don't know where you're going. You can't see anything. I, it's, <laughs> honestly, after the first ride, we pulled into the brakes and I was like, what just happened? I said, I have no idea how many times we just went upside down. Uh, we got airtime where like you shouldn't even get airtime. Like it was unbelievable. So uh, yes, I give it two thumbs up. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now we can wrap the episode. <laughs> Great. Well, I think that we had some pretty interesting takeaway it's hard to summarize this in in one sentence but it's more so just like it, it it's like a lawnmower you know you just pull the cord and then it just goes right yeah, it goes yes <laughs> since i mowed the lawn this morning i know exactly what you're talking about nice. um, but yeah no this was this was great and i appreciate you bringing up your observations so that we could banter about that a little bit um if anybody out there watching and listening has ideas or thoughts about any of our ideas or thoughts we'd love to hear what you have to say let us know at attractionpros at gmail.com or just uh, hit us up on any of the socials but for now for everybody watching and listening just remember we are all attraction pros thanks for listening to the attraction pros podcast Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.